This was one of my favorite conversations of all time. I got to sit with Dr. Marissa Franco. If you don't know who she is, know this. She is an expert on friendship, an expert on friendship. In this conversation, we talked about loneliness. We talked about rejection. We talked about how we could, how we could change our relationship with rejection. Because let's be honest, some of us aren't showing up in the friendships and in the relationships that we want because we're afraid, because there's fear. And a lot of times the fear that we're dealing with is the fear of rejection. And so this, this podcast conversation is an extremely soft landing spot to make space for rejection. We also are going to get out of the self-fulfilling prophecies that we continue that stop us from living the life that we want. Let's be honest. Friendship and relationships matter. This is the most important thing to a human being is our relationships. Everything that we do happens in relationship. So it's important that we continue to learn safely how we're showing up and how we could show up better. So this conversation with Dr. Marissa Franco is going to take us down a beautiful journey of how we can show up in our relationships and how we continue to free our energy. The first thing I want to know, and this is obviously like a very deep, deep threaded question. So I understand like there may be another thread we may need to visit, but I'm curious, how do adults who feel like their relationships have fallen out because of the pandemic, like the pandemic was the trigger that caused their adult relationships to fall out of the, you know, the intimacy of the connection that they were used to. How do they reconnect and like rekindle those old relationships that they still value? Yeah, well, I think the first step to reconnection starts with your mindset around it. And so sometimes you fear, oh, they don't like me anymore. They hate me. We haven't talked in a while. And I would just encourage people to not assume that ambiguity or silence means something negative. Um, and that will prime you to be able to reach out again, which is really what I would suggest. So just kind of touching base and saying, you know, I've missed you. I haven't heard. We haven't talked in a while. Just wanted to check in and see how you're doing. And taking it from there and actually reconnecting with people is one of the first pieces of advice I give people when they're like, how do I make friends? Because when you reconnect, the research finds that you already have more trust compared to someone that you just met. And so the relationship can move a lot more quickly. You get a lot more bang for your buck versus having to go out and meet someone new and starting from scratch. What if there's a relationship where the trust isn't as strong because, and I'm just going to make a situation up here that's pretty common. I'm sure you see it in your practice, but you have one person who gives a little bit more. They're the one reaching out. They're the one making the plans. They're the one saying, hey, we should hang out and we yeah. should connect. And then the other person is more of a, and eh, I'll make time for it when I can make time for it. Yeah. So how, like, how do we, how do we handle that? How do we manage that? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, since I've started studying friendships, I've come to realize when it comes to our relationships, we can't expect things to change unless we address them. 
So it would be important to actually bring that up. And, you know, maybe after you initially reconnect, say, you know, this is what I've been struggling in, with in this relationship. It is so important to me, but I just feel like sometimes I'm the only one reaching out and that feels really hard for me. And I was wondering what that's like on your end, whether you would be willing to reach out more because I would really like for this relationship to continue, but that's what I know that I might need. And if the other person isn't open to that, then you have a few decisions moving forward. You can ask yourself, is this friendship worth enough to me that I'm willing to continue it with this dynamic? If it continues and it doesn't change, right? Because I have tried to address it and this other person may or may not have changed. Is this worth me continuing for me? And maybe there's other benefits you get out of the friendship and you're like, okay, like I can adapt to being the one that reaches out. But you can also decide, you know, reciprocity is really important for me in a friendship. And even though we have a lot of fun together and we enjoy each other's company, that is a need that I have. And if I'm not receiving that, then that is not a someone in my closest circle, right? Because you can also choose to modulate the relationship. Like we can still be friends, but you're not gonna be my most intimate friend because I really do want that reciprocity. And I think that that's totally valid. Um, It's totally valid for you to say, the most intimate relationships in my life have to be reciprocal. And then for you to move forward accordingly. Yeah, I hear you with that. One thing that I'll tell you about a personal transformation that I just recently went through in the context of friendship is, I've always been the type of person where I'm like, I I want the deep connection, you know, like I really want to be able to talk about racism and the government and my goals and my deepest pain and my deepest joys. Like, you know, I really want that deep connection. And so I've always had that and I've always valued uh, those people. But what I realize is like there's a void there because what you do when you're that way is you neglect some of those weaker ties that exist and you never nourish like those weaker ties. And it actually causes you to not really value uh, those weaker ties, just the people that, you know, you may you kind of pass by them. You just say, hey, how you doing? You know, people that, you know, and what I challenged myself to do at the beginning of this year was to become so much more present with those weaker ties um, and just to invest in those weaker ties the same way I would with the people who, you know, I'm 20 years with or we're, we're super deep and super intimate. And what I've realized is my connection to them, to the weaker ties, one, it grew, but then my personal fulfillment in all of my relationships got better. Can you give me any any backing on, on, on or maybe research you've seen as to why working with your your weaker ties could, you know, create created that? Yeah. So here's my hypothesis, because I feel like I've definitely gone through the same thing. And for me, I think it was about I want those deep and intimate relationships, but it was also about looking back. I feel threatened when we don't have a high level of intimacy because I'm not sure if you really like me. I'm not sure if I can really depend on you. And I think that's just taken some unlearning for me that I can also tolerate relationships where I don't need to completely depend on you. Um, But what your story really reminds me of a relationship I had with a supervisor. And as psychologists, we have these supervisors who tell us about our practice. She was really harsh. Our styles just didn't match. But I had to see her regularly over time. And I ended up being like, I think I have to start asking myself, what does she provide me 
instead of does she provide me with what I'm looking for? Hmm. And so I think when we ask that question, we can find more value in people, right? Because even if someone isn't necessarily giving you what you want out of relationships all the time, they probably give you something that you mm. might be disregarding. <laughs> um, if you're only looking for the people that kind of match this prototype of close relationships for you. And so I think when we kind of open ourselves up to those looser ties, we're just more likely to learn from people and to gain more wisdom. And, you know, that's the beauty of, of looser ties. The research finds that they show us a different point of view or show us a different perspective. So I think there is some value in keeping in the looser ties, but I think it does require some adjustment in how we think about our relationships. And I've noticed from my introspection with the looser ties that those relationships also have a lot less pressure. You know, because when you know someone and you've known them for so long, there is an expectation, you know, uh, an expectation of how we're going to treat each other, how we're going to show up for each other in our lives. But with those looser ties, there's really not that strong commitment. And so it, I really see it as an opportunity almost to invite people, uh, new people to this newer version of you. You know, sometimes you have friends that you had for 10 plus years. They may not see your changes. They may not be ready to identify like you have changed, but a newer person can come into your life and you can actually invite them, invite them into the deepest level of intimacy because they can completely they're meeting you at a clean slate. You know, they don't know any of your old stories. They don't know anything about you. They just know this present version of you. So I think um, yeah. that mindset shift really, I mean, it just makes everything so much lighter. Yeah, I, I definitely love what you're saying. And I think, you know, I was just <laughs> one thing that I've been talking about that's been popular with people is why do you still need friends when you're in a romantic relationship? And I actually used to study identity before I studied friendship. And I'm, I just realized how deep of a role friends play in our identities and how if you're in one, if you're just experiencing yourself in one relationship over time, you're just experiencing a straight-jacketed version of yourself because as much as someone can fulfill you, there will be sides of you that they don't understand. And so just having that large community of people to turn to says, oh, I can experience this side of me because they get that or this side of me because they get that. And I think that relates to what you're saying about, you know, when you meet new people, there's these sides of you that have grown and evolved that might be harder to tap into in your own relationships, but easier when it's like, I'm this new person, I'm a blank slate. So for the, for the person who's in a relationship and, you know, their best friend is their partner, nothing wrong there, no shame there. Uh, but the relationship and their commitment to the relationship and the safety that they feel in the relationship has caused them to drift away from their, from their platonic friendships but then they feel almost a dis disconnection. They feel a loneliness, you know, and they bring all this pressure to the relationship. What's what's your advice to them to to also still cherish and value the relationship, but also to come out of it and and to make themselves available, you know, for their for their friends, ones that they've probably neglected. How do they get out of that routine of being only in the relationship and come into all the, all the other relationships that also matter? Yeah, I think first it takes a shift in mindset because I think we've all been taught, you know, this one person is your puzzle piece to completeness. And, you know, I'll just drop some research information as to how wrong that is. Um, there's actually three types of loneliness. Intimate loneliness, which is we feel lonely because we don't have those very close intimate ties, best friends, relationship partners. But then there's also relational loneliness, which is I'm lonely for the 
friend, just a friend. And then there's also communal loneliness, which is I'm lonely for a larger community that shares a common goal. My church, my bowling league, you know, my political lobbyist group. And so we can experience any of those layers of loneliness and still be lonely, even if our intimate loneliness is fulfilled without communal loneliness, without relational loneliness, we can still feel lonely. And so if you're treating your relationship like an island, you might be welcoming a lonelier life for yourself. Um, I think another another piece of research that I like to share is that actually having friends is part of what keeps your relationship healthy. According to the science, when you're able to turn to friends, when there's tumultuous times in your relationship, your relationship is more likely to be resilient in those times and to endure. And so thinking about this being an act that is on behalf of your relationship, you making friends, instead of something that is taking away from your relationship, I think is the mindset within which you want to approach this. And then I think, you know, how, what do you do from there? Well, I think, you know, there's many things that you can do that are aligned with the tips that I share for making friends in general. Reconnecting is certainly good. I know we talked about that already. Just taking that initiative is so important. Something that I always come up against is people are just like, friendship should happen organically. I shouldn't have to try. And that's, false. People that see friendship as something that happens without effort based on luck are actually more lonely over time. Whereas those who think it takes effort are less likely to be lonely. And so be proactive, put yourself out there. You meet someone you like, say to them, hey, I've enjoyed this conversation. I would love to stay connected to you. Can we exchange contact information? Not letting that moment pass you by, taking a lot of ownership of the process of making friends. Because we see that so much for romantic relationships, right? People go on the apps, (laughs) they're swiping away for years before they find someone. But I don't necessarily see that level of intentionality when it comes to friendships, but it is also very necessary. Wow. Wow, man. The Let's go back to the loneliness. Um, I needed to hear that personally, because like I, in my life, I have the great friends, I have the relationship, and I'm working all the time, you know, just like everybody else. I feel like And I was in the gym about four weeks ago and I grew up playing football. So, you know, used to lifting weights and I'm in the gym lifting, lifting by myself, headphones on, not talking to anybody. And just in the middle of my set, I asked myself, I said, why am I doing this? Like, why am I in this gym by myself, training by myself the same way I used to train, you know, for the football team? Like, why am I doing this? And when I sat there, I actually started crying. I'm not even going to lie to you. I started crying. There was like, it was only like two tears. But, you know, that's crying. So there was like two tears that came down. And what those tears told me it was that I was dealing with loneliness. But mm-hmm. it wasn't relationship and it wasn't friends. All of that is good. What it was is, was the communal. It was the, communi- it was the community aspect. And so I, I left the gym and there's this guy named Alan, and I called him right away. He's a, he's a trainer at the F45 over here in Scottsdale. He's been trying to get me to come to the gym for like a year. And so I called him, and I said, hey, you know, how are you doing? And this is not someone that I regularly call, you know. He answered. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? And he's like, oh, you know, actually, my dad just passed, so, you know, I'm, I'm down here, you know, dealing with family things. And it was, like, that was supposed to happen because— I offered him a safe space. I said, you know what? My dad passed a few years ago as well. So if you need, you know, an ear, if you want to talk about it, if you want to just be around someone who's experienced that and we can talk about something completely different, let me know. 
take me up on that offer. And I was able to offer him a space, you know, for healing for that. And then I asked him, I said, you know, you've been trying to get me to come to this gym for years, you know, for a year now. Like, is that opportunity still there? Can I still come? He said, Sylvester, I would love for you to come to the gym. There's so many people I want to introduce you to. I want you to be a part of this community. So I go. It's, so awesome. it's been four weeks now, you know, and I've gotten to meet so many high quality people uh, just because I, I did that introspection, just because I let that tear come down. And I realized yeah. it was like, you know, the communal loneliness, it was a hole in my life. Now I open yeah. myself up um, to Alan and I, I get so much fulfillment out of that part of my day where now I haven't worked out by myself in four weeks and I have no intention to. Like, I love the group fitness, you know, because like you said at the beginning, you know, working together towards a common goal. Well, even though we all have an individual goal of we want to stay in shape, right? That's the individual goal. We also all have the goal of we want to be witnessed and seen in a community. Mm. And that group fitness has just, it's offered so much love and, and so much space uh, for that. So I'm wow. so glad that you That's said that. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And I also really love how you, the support that you offered to your friend, that really sounds amazing because I think, Often when people, people are so afraid of rejection. If there's anything I've taken away from the research, it's that. And so being proactive about it to say, hey, I'm here for you. If you need anything, reach out to me. I am free. I want to be there for you. That is so important because without that, people just assume I'm being needy. Um, I'm asking for too much. Um, you know, it's not okay for me to talk about this. So I just, I thought that was just a really great example of offering beautiful support to a friend too. On the on the other end of that, I'm very curious because I don't I don't really hear men mention this. Maybe you have, but I I, I do hear women mention this more. And I'm curious, um, you know, when someone hurts you in a friendship, I saw I saw you post about this. You know, uh, quote, you know, I don't tell friends when they hurt me. How do we change that? How do we get get comfortable and tell our friends like, hey, you you hurt me? Yeah, I think we just have to bring it up. Um, so that it becomes a norm, because if we bring it up, the other person feels licensed to bring that up too. And, you know, research finds that we're less likely to bring up our problems in friendship than we are in romantic relationships. And the problem there is that when we don't bring up significant problems, it's not that they go away. We just choose to disengage and distance ourselves. And we don't even know why. We're like, I don't really want to hang out with this friend. I don't really feel like I want to see them. And that might just be a problem of, have you addressed this issue? Have you brought up this issue? There's some uh, psychologists, I forget their name, but they talk about the difference between comfortable safety and dynamic safety. And comfortable safety is we feel comfortable around each other because nobody brings up when there's any problems. Mm. Whereas dynamic safety is we feel comfortable bringing up problems and repairing the relationship, coming together and being open as problems continue to come up. And I think that's what intimacy looks like. I mean, honestly, I haven't been good at bringing up problems. <laughs> what has convinced me is the research. There was this study I read that found that open conflict can actually bring your relationships closer. <laughs> and I was like, no way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay.
okay, now I actually have to like bring up this issue that I was having. And so I talked to my best friend about some things that had been on my mind because I noticed I was withdrawing from her. And she started crying because she was like, never before have I felt so close to someone through having conflict with them. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is amazing that that this can make us closer, make our relationship more intimate, make our relationship more honest if we're able to bring up that conflict. That being said, the effect of conflict totally depends on your delivery of it. So thinking about the larger goal of conflict, not being to win or for me to vent or get my point across, but to heal our relationship. And if I have a problem in a relationship, there's a problem within our relationship because I am one of the parties in it. And so I often recommend, you know, going about conflict in certain types of ways, the I statements, not blaming the other person, starting with an opener that indicates how important the friendship is to you. So again, it looks like something like, you know, this friendship is so important to me. So I want to make sure that if there's any problems between us, we're able to bring them out on the table. And so I just thought it was important for me to voice that when this happened, I felt this way. What was going on for you? And so we also have to be open to perspective taking and conflict, right? Because for example, I was mad at my friend because I asked her to review one of my book chapters for the book I'm writing and I didn't hear back from her. She told me that she had reviewed it and I just had to come across it. And so that perspective taking is really important because actually hearing what's going on for them might fundamentally change how we relate to the problem. Our friend might be like, I was really depressed. You know, my parent passed away. That's why I didn't show up for you. So letting them also voice what's going on for them is really important. And then just ending that with stating, this is how I think we should move going forward. And everything you just gave us is that when you said open conflict, is that what open conflict looks yeah. like? That's like open, the di- non-blaming conflict. Yeah, the the non-blaming. So I was listening to I think it was Brene Brown's podcast, and I She's had this great. aha moment. Yeah, I had this aha moment of insight when she said, "Blame is trying to transfer your discomfort onto another person." And I was like, damn, so I just have to look at that in me, understand what's going on for me and not just automatically transform it into this other person has done something wrong. Okay. Open conflict. You said an I statement at the beginning, right? So what, can you clarify what that is for us? Definitely. So instead of saying, you know, you're a bad friend, you're lazy, you don't show up for me. Hey, I felt disregarded. I felt unsupported at this really hard time in my life. I felt um, upset that, you know, you didn't show up for me in this way. So not focusing on the other person's character, but instead focusing on how it affects you. I really like that. Even though it's, it, it starts with the I and the, the word invitation starts with the I. It's actually an invitation because when you immediately yeah. jump out and you, 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 it's an attack. It's instantly an attack. Mm -hmm. And so if we're looking to resolve conflict, how are you going to start on the attack? Conflict is going to get resolved with the invitation to dissolve the conflict. And I really like that, starting with the I statement. Um, And then you said, let's close with the, this is what it looks like moving forward. Yeah. Can you give me uh, like another example of that? Like how how does that sound in conversation? Yeah. So for example, I think with that same friend, I brought up that she can get very anxious about things. So she'll be like, you know, be careful, (laughs) Um, look out. And it it makes me anxious. And, and um, 
So I was like, maybe next time, just let me know, like, hey, notice this thing on your right. That would be easier language for me um, than the be careful or be cautious. So kind of working together, collaborating to think about, hey, this is our problem. If this problem or this, this area of conflict looked better and looked more healing for us, what would it look like? And how can we focus on that going forward? Okay, thank you. I think that'll offer a lot of value to our listeners here. Tell us about your book. I saw you working on it. I saw you talking Ooh. about it on Twitter. Tell it. Tell us about the journey. Yeah. So I, oh gosh, it has been a journey. <laughs> I was a professor and I got this grant to study social support in China and Vietnam. And I was, I was reading all this social support is just like providing support to people in need. Um, I was reading all this research on friendship and I was like, oh my gosh, people need to know about this. This is helping me so much. So I started writing for Psychology Today to get my name out there. And then I started, uh, I wrote a book proposal, I pitched to agents and I got an agent. It took me a whole year for them to say, hey, this proposal is good enough to send out to publishers. And um, I signed in November with with the Penguin Random House and I've been writing it for this past year. And the whole thesis of it it's deep. It's a lot of psychology. It's a lot of research. I'm not, I don't want to give people just these hot tips on friendship because I think people can't apply them unless they explore who they are and what their baggage is. And so the, the kind of thesis of it is that how we've connected in the past affects who we are now. And then who we are now affects how we connect. Right. Mm. And so there's this way that if we have all this baggage, these negative experiences, we go into new relationships, mistrusting and more hostile. Right. And then that affects our ability to connect in the future. And we, we becomes this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy that we only can really disrupt if we're aware that it's happening <laughs> instead of assuming, yeah, people are just are hurt are harming me but like what role do I play in a dynamic a relationship is a dance most of the time most of the time um so yeah that's the thesis of it I'm really excited I'm writing my last chapter now it won't come out for a while to November 2022 because that's just how books are (laughs) but um but yeah it's been giving me life during this pandemic isn't it amazing how writing a book actually it just forces you to teach teach yourself new versions of yourself. It forces you to learn about yourself and your old self. It just like I love writing books. I I love the process. So I'm so happy for you. Is this your first one? Thank you. Yeah, this oh, is my awesome. very first book. Do you have a, a title yet? So far, um, it's platonic, how to make and keep friends as an adult, but my editor can push back on that. So it might, you might see something different in we may see something November different. 2022. Well, yeah. I'm telling you now, when it, when it comes that time to release the book, you got to come on back on and tell us all about it. I would love to. I would love to. This has been so much fun. Do you, do you have a current practice now, that like an active uh, psychology practice now? I'm licensed, but I'm not currently practicing. Okay. So what's a typical day like for the friendship expert? Oh, gosh. I am juggling so many hats. I work in policy on um, social behavior change in the government, like basically changing people's behaviors and figuring out the science of that using my psychology background. I also am writing my book simultaneously. So that's a lot. I do some speaking and, you know, trying to build up my business there. And then I also write for Psychology Today. So it is, I'm sure you know, <laughs> juggling the life of a kind of um, semi-entrepreneur and um, trying to do it all at once. So how do you, 
how do you set boundaries with all of these things and how do you stay organized and you know how do you put your time and say hey this is more important than this you know walk me through your organizational process the re- and the reason why I'm asking yeah. that in the context of friendship is there are some people who don't show up for their friendships because they feel so overwhelmed so I'm asking yeah. you that to try to get us you know maybe you have something for us there Honestly, I I get that. And I think there was a point where I was feeling that way. Like I'm too overwhelmed. And now when my friends need something from me, it feels like um, an ask or meddlesome where I didn't used to feel that way. And I realized how busyness was giving me this more negative perception of my friendships. And when I realized that that's what it was costing me, I decided to dial back (laughs) and work less hard and work a little bit more slowly because at the end of the day, relationships are the most important thing, right? So I can't sacrifice, you know, all of the other, I can't sacrifice my relationships for anything. You know, that's nothing is worth that to me, even though I was living my life that way. So I decided to move a little bit more slowly and that was really helpful. I think the other thing is I've had to be really discerning about who I want to bring into my life and have an intimate relationship with. And I think when I first started writing this book, I was like, now I know the tools to be friends with anybody. Yes, I'll be friends with everyone. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed. (laughs) This is not what, this is not what I'm looking for. This isn't fulfilling me either. And so now it's just been me asking myself, you know, what are, what are important, what's important to me about who I bring into my life? Who has those qualities? Where do I want to invest? Where do I not want to invest? And that's a hard question, right? Because sometimes I will know I should be, this is the right response to build a relationship, like showing someone a lot of affection or, you know, being really overly supportive, making sure that you're showing up for them. And now I dial it back a little bit. I'm not like ignoring anybody or not being accountable to them at all, but just, I have to dial a little bit back of that investment so that I can really invest in the people that I want to. And, um, that's something that I had to learn over time because I think before my, I was like, Oh, I I just need more friends. But now it's like, no, I need to discern who my friends are and be very intentional and deliberate about which relationships I want to invest in. I love that, uh, that ability to just dial back and just to, to really focus. Uh, you had something. I had to write this down word for word. I'm going to read it to you because I, I need you to tell me a little bit more about this. The secret to getting people to like you is to like them, affirm them, value them, and cherish them. Can you tell me more about that? Oh, gosh, yeah. You know, it's so funny. I feel like we have this misconception when we're younger that, oh, if I'm charismatic and funny and smart, people will like me. And as I read the research on this, I'm like, no. Um, This is, there's a theory called the theory of inferred attraction. There's a theory called reciprocity theory, which is basically what we get out, we tend to give back. And so the idea is that, you know, when you show people that you like them and you value them, you tend to get that back. And part of the reason that this happens is because we are so afraid of rejection, right? And so what we tend to do is only invest to the extent to which we feel like it's safe to invest. And so if we feel like there's someone we like, but it doesn't seem like they're going to like us or be open to us, then we dial back how much we invest so that we can escape that rejection, right? And so it's the people that make you feel the safest 
and the most comfortable and the most liked as you are that are the ones that draw people in because then you tell people you don't have to worry about being rejected here. And that's one of people's biggest barriers for connection. So it's these people that can really show other people, hey, I like you. Um, and I, I think that starts internally because, you know, I read the book, I'm sure a lot of us have, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I thought all his strategies were correct, but I found it very exhausting <laughs> to have to remember all these strategies and, you know, do this weird thing intentionally. And and then as I read the research on authenticity, I was like, oh, actually acting inauthentic- inauthentically um, deteriorates our mental health and well-being. And so is it worth it to be so likable at the expense of your health, well-being and sense of authenticity? And so I realized, I think, how we reconcile these things is to actually internally be someone that feels more grateful for people, that's looking for things to like in other people, that goes into an interaction and, and asks themselves, what am I looking forward to when seeing this person? Um, there's things like loving kindness meditation that have been found to increase the extent to which we like other people. So yeah, just like, it's not about just telling people what they want to hear and telling them you're great and I love you and being a, a psychophant or um, being a flatterer. It's about actually working internally with yourself to just allow the love that you have for other people. And I say allow very intentionally because I think as social creatures, we all naturally have love for other people, but it's our scars, our baggage that makes us mistrust people, that makes us be more skeptical of other people. And so I think that love is really already there, but we need to find ways to tap into it. Mm -hmm. We've mentioned a few times here rejection. So I really think it's important that we at least touch on that because when we're dealing with our friendships, um, growing with even our, in our own in our own body and into our own selves and and relationships, rejection is such a such a a fearful thing that we all fear. Right? We don't we don't want to be rejected. Can you tell us a little bit more about how to move forward? And since the, since the the conversation is basically around the context of friendship, how do we move forward into our like authentic self, understanding? That there will be rejection, that people will say, you know, no, we can't we can't hang out because I have this to do or I just don't want to. And it's OK that you don't want to. You know, how do we move forward and accept rejection, uh, but not allow it to affect our ego or our identity or our self-esteem of our life? You know, I think when it comes to rejection. So first of all, I wanted to share some interesting research that tends to resonate with people. Um, There's this study on what's called the liking gap. So this researcher had people interact with strangers and afterwards the strangers rated each other. How much did you like the person that you interacted with? It turns out that in general, people underestimated how much they were liked by the person they interact with, that we have this human tendency to assume rejection when it's not there, right? And the more self-critical you are, the more you overestimated the degree to which this person disliked you. So often we think, oh, there's this story I'm telling myself about how I'm coming off as weird and the other person doesn't like them. We use that as the truth when it's actually distorting the truth, according to the research. And I say that because I think part of rejection is not just a single instance, but all the chatter that we add to that instance, right? So for example, if I'm trying to make a new friend, the other person's like, you know, I got a lot going on in my life. I can't hang out with you. 
if my chatter that I add to that is I'm not likable, nobody wants to be my friend, you know, this is a problem with me. I'm never going to get over this. Everybody hates me. If that's my chat, that's my chatter. It's going to hit a lot differently. It's going to feel a lot more rejecting than if my chatter, my baggage, what I add on to that is, you know, we just might be at incompatible stages of our lives. And so this just might not be fitting for this time rather than seeing it as something personal. So this, this actually brings me into my last point on this. So in the psychology research, researchers have investigated what makes people resilient versus what keeps people in their pain, right? And they found that there's these sort of three things that make negative events linger within us and make them feel more heavy and make it harder to get out of them. And that is, they're called the three Ps. One, when we assume things are personal, people that assume things are personal are more likely to suffer for a longer period of time. You can't hang out with me, so I assume it's because I'm not likable rather than you have things going on in your life. Two is prevalence. We assume that one bad instance means that everything in our life is bad, right? This person can't hang out with me. Nobody likes me. Nobody in my life (laughs) thinks I'm good rather than, you know, maybe it just didn't work out with this person. And the third is persistence. And that is the idea that this person didn't want to hang out with me. So nobody will ever want to hang out with me. (laughs) Um, This is it for me. You know, this represents everybody out there who is going to think, you know, I'm not good friendship material. And so the more that we can develop in internal dialogue that emphasizes, hey, this may not be personal to me. This just might have been an incompatibility between us. There are other people out there who might also want to be more open to this, who who might also um, have a more compatible schedule with mine. And also, I have other friends that are great to me. So this person's response doesn't represent everybody's response to me. That more healing internal dialogue really helps us get over a rejection. So it sounds like part of all of our work is to be more self-compassionate towards ourselves, when we're talking about our journey, whether it's friendship, job, whatever it is, just just bringing in a more self-compassionate voice, a more friendlier voice, right? We want to be, yeah. we want to be a better friend. We want to make more friends, or we want to, you know, increase the potency in our friendship. Let's turn that light inward as well. Right. And just bring that inner voice in here and not beat ourselves up. I think I think it's such a such a great reminder. Yeah, definitely. Self-compassion is key. I tell people, hey, assume people like you unless you have evidence, strong evidence otherwise, instead of assuming people don't like you and acting accordingly. Relating to ambiguity with optimism is really, really important. Yeah, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking about it. Most of the people that I come across, I don't dislike. Like, you have to typically do something, you know, for me to be like, oh, no, never talking to that person again or never dealing. Like, you know, most interactions are pretty pleasant. I I don't walk into interactions like, oh, this is going to be bad. This is going to be awful. I always go yeah. into it with a with a ray of hope. I'm, I know some people don't like hope. I love hope. I I, I like hope yeah. a lot. I like you know. Hope I need too. that positivity. <laughs> I need to know that something good could come from this. Even if even if something good may not come from it, I don't want to assume that something bad is going to come from it. Mm-hmm. You know, Sylvester, I think that that's a really good approach because when it comes to our relationships, right, we often never get that feedback. Does this person actually like me? Does this person not like me? So our internal dialogue plays a larger role in how this relationship affects us than what the actual reality of the relationship is, because rarely do we actually know that. 
So how do we how do we check in? Because it's a very vulnerable thing to just say to someone, hey, do you like me? <laughs> you know, it's a it's a very vulnerable thing. It puts a lot of pressure on them. What's a way like we could what's a way we could could get to that point? You know, that's safe, safe for the other person and safe for ourselves. I think that, you know, liking is also conveyed through actions and behaviors. So is this person engaged with you? Are they reaching out to you as well? Um, are they complimenting you, praising you, showing you affection? When you say, hey, you mean a lot to me, are they like just like, thanks? Are they like, oh, yeah, like you mean a lot to me too? Right. I think there's a lot of cues that kind of... <laughs> that thanks. If you get a... If, you, if you're if you emotional, you're, if you open up and all you get back is a thanks, there you you know right there. You know it. You know it. They're, they're <laughs> not... you know without asking. Yeah, they're not ready to meet you in that space. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. And I love how you put it, right? They're not ready to meet you in that space rather than, you know, you better work on yourself because this person didn't react the way that you wanted them to. Yeah. I was coaching this guy a few years ago uh, and rejection was one of the themes that we were dealing with. Now, it was greatly related to the rejection that he received in his childhood that was continuing to play out in his adulthood. And he was so afraid uh, to ask a woman out on a date, single guy. And he had this this desire to, you know, be in an intimate relationship. And I remember asking him, I said, you know, what it what is it? What's the problem? Like, you know, why are you afraid to ask a girl out on a date? And his response was, if she says no, I don't think I'll be able to go on. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very sad. And the three Ps that you you gave me is exactly what he was dealing with. He was taking it personal. And I remember telling him, I said, you know, the interesting thing about, at least in a dating context, when it comes to, hey, you want to go out with me? You want to grab a drink? Let's get dinner, whatever the conversation is. I said, one way you can really look at this is realize that she's not rejecting you and she's really rejecting the situation. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, he was like, huh, she's rejecting the situation. And I just think that sentence brought him completely out of this is all about me. Because he's he's also joining the situation. And once he realized that there was a situation, which um, my therapist calls it a th the third body, whenever like one body and another body comes together in an environment, he calls it the third body. And so if you're going out on a date, that's the third body. That's a, that's a situation. It's 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 a space that two people are creating. And just because one person says, no, I don't want to join that space or I don't want to join that body. There's eight billion people in the world <laughs> like someone else would love to go get mac and cheese with you or someone else would love to watch cartoons with you or, or whatever it is. So I just I really love that theme of like, hey, like, let's not take this so personal. Like, let's not be defeated because yeah. someone is rejecting us. Sometimes they're not rejecting us. Sometimes they're just rejecting the opportunity. And we can't assume that. We know what's going on in everybody's life. We can't assume that we know what pain they're dealing with or what schedule they have, you know? Hmm. I love that. And I, I think you're, what you're saying points to another important point, which is that, that the people that are most afraid of rejection are often the most rejecting <laughs> because I can, you know, I can share a story about this from my own life. So I had a boyfriend and I was performing at an open mic at that point, I was a lot more afraid of rejection than I am right now. And so I decided not to invite him because I was like, he doesn't want to see this. You know, he's got other things going on in his life. 
Um, you know, I'm sure I'm just bothering him if I ask him to come, but then come to find out he feels really rejected that I didn't ask him to come to this open mic night. And I think, you know, when you're so afraid of rejection, you assume that everything is a burden to everybody else. Everything you ask for is a burden to other people. So you don't initiate, you don't follow up because you're like, I don't, they know, I think they don't want to hear from me. Um, you don't invite people because you're like, oh, I'm probably going to be really annoying. And how that actually comes off to other people is, this person is withdrawn from me. This person is rejecting me. And I think what rejection does to us is our fears of rejection is they give us something called an egocentric bias. And that happens when we are viewing the realities of a relationship dynamic only through our own lens, right? So if I think they're, I think they're rejecting me, they are rejecting me. They're not a separate human with their own fears and their own realities. And so I think that's also really important to keep in mind because sometimes we're so afraid of being rejected that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because I'm not engaging in my relationships. I'm not reaching out to you. I'm not showing you that I'm interested in and engaged. And then you're backing away, not because you didn't like me, but because you don't feel like you're getting the right amount of affirmation from me. Mm. Wow. The self-fulfilling prophecy. For people who have never heard that term, can you kind of, can you tell us what that is? The self-fulfilling prophecy, it's basically the idea that I have some sort of fear and I act to make my fear come true, even though I may think that my fear is just coming true because of the wider universe. So just like in the example with um, rejection, right? It's like, I'm so, let's say someone's someone's dating someone, someone new and, or even like they have a new friend that they're initiating a new relationship with. And they're just so afraid, this person's gonna reject me. I don't wanna reach out. And this other person is reaching out to them, but they're not showing that reciprocity because they're like, oh, well, maybe sometimes they feel like they want to engage with me, but not all the time. So I just won't reach out to them and I'll kind of leave it alone. And so they're really afraid of that rejection happening, but then it becomes more likely to happen. That's the self-fulfilling prophecy piece because by their actions, by them not engaging, by them not showing other people they love and value them, which we've talked about as so important to friendship, they make it more likely that they actually will be rejected. And so the psychologist puts it really well that our disorder creates the conditions that nurture the disorder for a lot of our disorders, a lot of our mental health. And I think rejection is no exception here. Wow. How, how do we come into your network? I know you have the, the email list, you're working on the book, like you're on psychology today. Tell us everything you're doing so we can get totally connected with you so we can, can, can link up with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was so much fun. I love talking about all things friendship and relationships. If you want to hear more, you can check me out on Twitter or Instagram at Dr. Marissa G. Franco. That's D-R. M-A-R-I-S-A-G-F-R-A-N-C-O. You can also go to my website, www.drmarissagfranco, where you can sign up for my newsletter to receive more information on the research of relationships, to hear about my book, and to take a free quiz that assesses your friendship strengths and weaknesses. Thank you so much for your time today. It is greatly appreciated. I believe you really helped us free our energy and you got us moving towards the direction of just adding more value to our friendships. Even even having that self-compassionate voice for ourselves. I really appreciate you joining us today. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
For the last two years, I have not had a sponsor for this podcast, but that changes today. It's an honor to be connected with a fitness studio here in Scottsdale, Arizona, the F45 Old Town Fitness Studio. And it's an honor because the manager there, Alan, has been a great, great supporter of mine. And he's invited me there to work out. He's invited me there to join the community. He's invited me a, a safe space to go. You know, this episode, we talked about friendship. And one of the things we talked about was the commu communal loneliness. I strongly encourage all of you to get in community. Yeah, your relationship is great. Your job that you go to is great. Your friendship is great. But what village do you have? What community do you have that's bigger than that? And that's my challenge to you. And so I'm so grateful that Alan invited me to join the F45 fitness community over in Scottsdale, Arizona. So if you are hearing this podcast and you are in the Arizona area, I'm inviting you to join our fitness community down at the F45. Maybe you're not in Arizona, but maybe there's some community that you need to join. Give it a try. Show up and continue to free your energy. Your energy. Your